Hello again, CFL fans and degenerate gamblers. Welcome to another edition of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, here to hopefully help guide you to another profitable week on the CFL betting board. We're going to go through all of last week's action and then see if we can apply what we learned to this week's games as the CFL prepares for Labor Day weekend. If you want to get in touch with the show, an email to cflbettingpodcast at gmail.com is the way to do that. And thanks, as always, to everyone for tuning in and offering your support, subscribes, and likes. All right, so just three games to go over from last week since the Elks and Argos was cancelled. No word yet on whether the Elks will have to forfeit this game. The rules state that this should have already happened, but it seems the CFL is still trying to reschedule the game for a later date. But that will require some juggling of the schedule that all of the other teams would have to agree upon. Hamilton and Montreal got week four started, and the curse of betting against an 0-2 team lives on as the Ticats were able to dig in their heels and ride a couple of late scores to a 27-10 victory their first of the season. We saw both offenses find a little bit of early success, and then as we've seen throughout the young season so far, this one turned into a game of kicking for field position. Despite the struggles of the Alouette offense throughout the majority of the game, I would say it was still there for the taking with 15 minutes left and the score 13-10 Hamilton, but for the second week in a row, I would suggest that self-inflicted wounds were the demise of the Owls. Several dropped footballs, some more unnecessary roughness penalties, and the play calling was fairly disappointing. Montreal wasn't able to get William Stanback going, and they seemed to be trying to kick him to the outside on a number of carries. Hamilton swallowed those up without much trouble. A second and two late in the third quarter was somewhat of a turning point, I felt, and they called the good old ridiculous shotgun handoff. That never works in short yard situations, and it's especially strange when you've got a guy like Stanback, who when he hits the line between the tackles with momentum, is almost assured of three or four yards. The Hamilton run game was a different story. They elected to stick with Sean Thomas Erlington as the starting tailback, and he rewarded them with a pretty solid night. 76% success rate, and the Ticats really did need that. Dane Evans, I thought, didn't have the greatest night. He was sacked six times as Hamilton's pass protection remains a work in progress. And while he did hit on a couple of nice deep balls, overall, just a 35% passing success rate for the Cats. The key to the victory was no doubt Frankie Williams, the defensive back who also returns kicks. And he was at least indirectly responsible for 17 of his team's points, running back a punt deep into Montreal territory. And capping the night off by almost pick-sixing Vernon Adams. He didn't quite get into the end zone, but Hamilton punched it in shortly after. Hamilton needed somebody to step up and be the guy to spark the turnaround. He did that literally from the opening kickoff. Montreal suddenly with some question marks now after six bad quarters of football. If six bad quarters of football sounds unappealing, how about 12 bad quarters of football? Well, I'd say that's the Ottawa Red Blacks claim to fame so far this season. They, of course, falling 24-12 to the BC Lions last Saturday night in the capital. Ottawa was dealt a considerable blow during the week leading up to the game with Sherrod Baltimore and Abdul Kenna both going on the six-game injured list. And without their two veteran cover men in the secondary, the Lions were able to consistently grab chunks of yardage through the air with Mike Riley orchestrating 15 plays that went for 10 or more yards. 
The Red Blacks defense was able to hang in there somewhat on the strength of their run stopping up front. With credit to the Lions for not abandoning the run in spite of that, and it really did open up the pass game for them on first down as they scored an excellent 66% success rate through the air on first down. The Lions defense did their part, and their part was really to just not make any big mistakes or take dumb penalties. And they accomplished that, keeping the Red Blacks offense out of the end zone for the second time in three games this year. Ottawa stuck to the highly conservative offensive game plan, running on 57% of first down snaps, excluding the final minute of the game. And despite some new personnel running the ball, the result was much the same with just a 29% success rate on the ground. Justin Davis saw the bulk of the carries and failed to generate much of anything. Ryan Davis, another rookie, had a decent night as the primary target in the receiving core, grabbing eight balls. But RJ Harris was not 100%, and he had just one catch on the night. And again, Ottawa lacked any semblance of a passing game further than 10 yards downfield. I will say, though, that for the third consecutive game, Ottawa threatened to cover this spread right up until the end of the game, depending on what number you got. Lions minus three was bet up to minus six by kickoff time, and anyone on minus five or worse was feeling sweaty as the Red Blacks moved down the field and into scoring range in the last minute of the game. But alas, their valiant attempt to backdoor the spread for anyone who may have backed them comes up short, and they will look ahead to a matchup with the Montreal Owlettes, while the Lions will take their traditional Labor Day bye week. Sunday afternoon gave us what was easily the best game of the weekend. We saw Winnipeg and Calgary go back and forth in a kicker's duel that came down to the final play. Stampeder's money line comes oh so close to hitting, but they do cover the plus seven and all other numbers leading up to that without too much of a sweat. This game also became the third one of the week to come in with a point total in the 30s as unders continue to hit across the board. Winnipeg got a big lift in this game as Andrew Harris made his return to the football field. He had an immediate impact, finding the end zone in the first quarter. And overall, he kick-started a struggling Bombers ground game, though the Stampeders did clamp down on him pretty good as this game wore on. Zach Caleros was throwing darts around the park, but the Bombers really hurt themselves with dropped balls. They, they did catch a break on a rather blatant missed offside on Rashid Bailey's 50-yard pickup that set up the Harris touchdown. But they hit on a couple of other deeper balls as well. And from what we've seen this season in the CFL, a few big plays are often all it takes. Calgary had a pretty good game on offense metrically, particularly in the first half, as rookie Jake Mayer had them in the lead coming out of the break. But a few errors end up costing them in the end. Josh Huff had a strong game, but unfortunately his biggest play of the evening was fumbling the ball away after Mayer had disconnected with him for what should have been a 35-yard gain or so on a very gutsy third-down gamble by Dave Dickinson. The Stamps also jumped offside on a couple of second-and-short situations, and that turned probable first downs into punts. And in the end, when you lose a game on a field goal miss that came up literally two yards short, it kind of magnifies things like that a little bit. Overall, I was quite impressed with the Stamps O-line. Jefferson and Jeff Coat uh, from Winnipeg, they got stronger as the game wore on, but they didn't actually record a sack on the night. Mayer made a couple of very nice throws under pressure. I think this was a decent bounce back game for the Bombers after getting run over in Toronto. They weren't great, but... Good teams find a way to win these types of games, and I'm sure they're happy to move into the Labor Day set at 3-1 and one after getting tested by a game opponent. And despite sitting at 1-3 and three now, I do think there's reason for cautious optimism in Calgary.
Week five, Labor Day weekend, begins on Friday with the Alouettes traveling to Ottawa. The visitors are now hefty seven-point favorites, taking significant money after opening minus five. And in fact, minus three was even available at, on the, uh, the early opening markets. That being long gone now is not surprising. Total for this game is 42 and a half as we near ever closer to seeing our first CFL total in the 30s on the main markets. This isn't going to be the deepest of dives. I don't think there's really a whole lot more to say about Ottawa right now that I haven't already repeated for three weeks in a row. This offense probably looked better than it has at any point this season last week. 44% passing success rate is, is not good, but nonetheless is a significant improvement week over week. Ryan Davis, 24-year-old rookie who went to Auburn, looks like he has the makings of being a legitimate top four receiver, so I mean that's something at least. I still don't really understand the lack of Devontae Dedman in this offense. This guy makes plays when he gets the football. They gave him just two carries last week on a night where they ran 17 times. One of those carries happened to be their biggest run of the night, not coincidentally, in my opinion. The offensive line isn't getting much push, so nobody's going to look like a star back there right now, but a guy who can actually make the first man miss like Deadman can would seem to have some value in that setting. I'd expect lots more running from Ottawa, regardless of who's back there, though, particularly after Hamilton ran quite effectively against a Montreal front that seems very good at getting to the quarterback, but does leave themselves vulnerable to the run in exchange for that. The goal for Ottawa thus far seems to be to try and keep games within reach and hope the other team makes a critical error. It worked out for them in week one, and we've seen this Montreal team make no shortage of critical errors, the majority of those being mental in the last two games. A run game that can keep the clock rolling and put Matt Nichols into mostly second and manageable or second and short situations could go a long way if we see Alouette receivers killing drives with drop balls and Vernon Adams continuing to underthrow the football on passes longer than 30 yards. Montreal's had way too many two and outs in these last two losses and even though that defense is generally getting themselves off the field without getting scored on, the losses in field position do eventually add up. I don't see Ottawa pushing past 15 or 16 points here. The Owls are defending the pass well enough that this offense scoring more than one major seems somewhat unlikely. But given the way they've burned the market two weeks running, I am a little surprised at how quickly this line has inflated to a full touchdown in Montreal's favor. Vernon Adams' offense has stunk for close to seven quarters in a row now. You know, that's not all on him, but I don't think Montreal getting past 20 points is at all guaranteed with the way Ottawa is tackling on defense right now. I do expect that defense is probably going to tire out again eventually if their offense continues to be who we all thought they were. But if they can prevent William Standback from finding traction like Hamilton did the last week, they should be able to hang around. I think a lot of the betting action is more so a fate of Ottawa than an endorsement of Montreal, but even as somebody who has happily faded the Red Blacks in some form or another the last three weeks, I just don't fully trust that Montreal is going to be smart enough to ensure that this is a two-score football game. The Ottawa team total is available at greater than 20 points on the very early lines. Hopefully you grabbed that under if you had the chance as the main market number is likely to be around 17 or so. I, yeah, I still wouldn't mind an underplay at 17 or lower for Ottawa. Uh, Montreal's defense on their own, you know, they really only gave up 13 points that you can blame them for against Hamilton last week. The, the 
27 on the scoreboard was deceiving in that regard. Then with the way they like to blitz, it, it could be a long and painful night for the slow-moving Matt Nichols behind a porous offensive line. 42.5 for the game total, low as that is, I, I'd still lean under on that. If we project Ottawa for 15 points or so, Montreal would still need 28 to push that number over. And unless Adams and those receivers manage to get on the same page and start executing better than they have up to this point, I don't see that occurring without a score by the defense or a big night on special teams. I think you would have to agree the game of the week will be taking place on Sunday afternoon as two old rivals get together in Regina. First place will be on the line as the 3-1 Bombers battle the 3-0 Riders. And we've seen the home side getting most of the love from betters so far. The Riders are favored by 3.5 to 4.5 now. Up from the 2.5 that was available in a few select corners of the gambling world. I believe 3.5 was where this opened at the major shops. And your total sits right around 43. Injury news. Saskatchewan comes into this game healthy for the most part. Micah Johnson might have a bit of an ankle issue. That did plague him in 2019, so perhaps a bit concerning in that regard. But he was a full participant in Thursday's practice, and there's no indication that he won't suit up on Sunday. Marcus Murphy, who's done a pretty nice job on punts, and along with some spot duty at the running back position, has been out of action so far this week. Shaq Evans remains on the injured list, but aside from that, it should be all hands on deck for the Riders. The Bombers are finally getting healthier, as is custom. Andrew Harris, Willie Jefferson, and Jackson Jeffcoat have all been limited in practice, but no reason to think any of them won't be good to go on game day. And Nick Dembski returned to the practice field on Thursday as well. He'd be a nice piece to get back into the lineup. There's not too many games on the CFL schedule throughout the year where the fervor of the crowd really comes into play. This game is always one of them. And with first place on the line, you know Mosaic Field is going to be buzzing all afternoon. Past results from more than a year or two prior don't ever really come into play when handicapping a football game. These, these rosters turn over very quickly in this league nowadays, but this is one of those rare matchups where I do think it's a little tough to fully ignore. Winnipeg has been a pretty solid franchise over the last 15 years, but that has not stopped the Rough Riders from winning this game 14 out of those 15 years. The Bombers won by a field goal in 2016, and then you have to go all the way back to 2004 to find their next win. And about half of those Rider wins were of the blowout variety. Bottom line, Saskatchewan shows up for this game, and they will come in well-rested after a bye week. If the Riders are able to get off to a strong start, the momentum is only going to build. So from the Winnipeg perspective, it's imperative that they find a way to keep Cody Fajardo from picking them apart early. Ottawa was able to keep the Riders bottled up for almost the entire first half two weeks ago. And the key to preventing that was, uh, you know, the Riders run game from doing any damage on first downs and setting up no one passing situations on second down. The Bombers' run defense hasn't been great so far this year. Some of that can be attributed to an aggressive pass rush that will get burned from time to time if they get surprised by a run play that they didn't sniff out at the line. But they're going to need to be a touch better than they have been recently. Grading out at less than 50% with a 20% explosive run rate allowed isn't going to lose you a game on its own by any means, but it's not a winning formula. And if William Powell is able to find holes with some consistency, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the other aspects of this defense. 
Winnipeg D coordinator Richie Hall loves to play a bend but don't break zone defense style. I don't personally love that strategy, but you can't argue with the results the Bombers defense has produced under his guidance. The key to me to the Riders' passing success so far has been how quickly Fajardo has been able to go through his reads and get the ball out of the pocket. I do think Winnipeg is going to have to make some adjustments in coverage or they're going to get burned anytime the front four isn't able to disrupt the pocket quickly. With scoring so low right now, the amount of field position given up by playing bend but don't break defense is perhaps more important than ever. And I do think this is going to cause some issues for the Bombers if Richie Hall doesn't have a new wrinkle or two to throw at them, which he very well might. But the first couple possessions are going to be very telling, I think, and Winnipeg can't afford to get behind by any great amount in the early going. 36% of opponent dropbacks have resulted in gains of 10 or more yards against this Bombers defense the last two games, and that will need to improve if Winnipeg's going to win this football game. Bombers offense, getting back Andrew Harris last game, was obviously a nice boost. And if they're able to throw both Harris and Dembski at an opposing defense for the first time all year, that bodes well for this offense. We've seen this offense so far operating fairly conservatively in general, but with a few calculated deep shots thrown in, and it has just barely got the job done for the most part. But you need to play almost mistake-free football to make this work. Zach Caleros has looked great through four games, and I think sometimes it's easy to forget that he was one of the better quarterbacks in this league not all that long ago. He just couldn't stay healthy. The fact that he's looked as good as he has in the Bombers' offense has only put together a 48% offensive success rate so far this year is mildly concerning to me, though. The Riders' defense is going to be a more aggressive one than any they've faced so far, and an offense that's done a very good job of limiting turnovers is going to need that trend to continue. Moving the sticks is the one way the Bombers might be able to settle the crowd down and sap some of the energy that always seems to give the Riders' defense a boost. And having Harris back to catch balls out of the backfield is one very good way to exploit a defense if they get over-aggressive. Metrically, the Riders have been the top stop unit in the league so far, but this does come with the caveat that they've played a soft schedule with home games against bad Hamilton and Ottawa offenses that do inflate those numbers somewhat. They've also played a fair number of minutes with substantial leads on the scoreboard, forcing their opponents to pass a lot on first down and run more predictable offenses in general. I do think this is a pretty solid defense, and importantly, they've had almost no injuries to speak of so far, but this is going to be a bigger test for them than they've faced up to this point. So we've got this line sitting between 3.5 and, and 4.5, and depending on where you like to do your line shopping. Over under is at 43. That's up a shade from the 42.5 where it opened. This will likely be the best Bomber team we've seen on the field this year, particularly if Nick Dembski is able to play. Given that these two teams returned a fairly high amount of players from 2019 compared to other teams, it is worth noting that Winnipeg won two out of three against Saskatchewan last year and only lost by a couple points on Labor Day. With how low scoring this, this league has been so far, Four and a half points is, is worth a touch more than it typically has been. And I, I think you can make a decent argument. That there's some value on the Bombers here, only needing to stay within a field goal. But like I mentioned off the top, history says you may as well be setting your money on fire betting against the Riders at home on Labor Day. So that's not a move I'm going to make. The question now becomes how many points is too many when it comes to backing the Riders? 
three is the only true key number in Canadian football, but you still shouldn't underestimate the importance of each individual point, particularly the ones between three and seven. And seven of 15 games so far this year have landed in that range. I loved Saskatchewan at minus two and a half. That number was offered last weekend by the CFL's official betting partner. I don't mind minus three and a half, and I don't expect this number pulls back to three. So that's probably as good as it gets, unless there's an unexpected injury announcement or something like that. And minus four and a half, I'm probably staying away and looking for something else. I am intrigued by the total in this game. If you'd been offered 43 points for this game a month ago, you'd have hit that over with a sledgehammer. Both these offenses are going to be at or near full strength. These are two of the best quarterbacks in the league going at it, and both teams are able to run the ball. We've seen less equipped Saskatchewan offenses than this blow past 30 points in this Labor Day game regularly over the years. Maybe that's a coincidence, but it's hard not to notice the pattern. Neither special teams unit has really got rolling in spite of some pretty decent return men. So it's possible we see some positive variance in that department. And both of these defenses have personnel that can take a turnover the other way for a quick six. So this is definitely counter trend based on the season we've seen so far, but I am going to go out and call out over 43 here as the best bet for Labor Day weekend. That is going to wrap up the first part of this podcast. The other two games don't go until Monday, so still lots of time to handicap those and see if we get any more moves in the market. And I will endeavor to get part two out to cover those games as soon as I have the time. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, everyone, and we will get together again very soon.